If you'd been paying attention to the guest on today's show, you may have gotten out of Luna or Celsius before they came crumbling down. His take on DeFi back on our April show got our attention. And with the aftershocks of FTX still rumbling through the crypto and financial world, we thought we'd invite him back to go deeper down the rabbit hole. What's the next domino to fall and how can you avoid getting burnt? We'll discuss with Brad Mills today on our Is All DeFi BS? Episode number 651 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? hard to tell you probably better listen to this podcast to see if what you think you know is even right at all is all DeFi doomed is it bullshit it what how do we even know this guy in the past has called several of them pretty correct he called mm-hmm. luna you better get out of that he said hey you probably better get out of celsius hey you probably ftx is looking like a bunch of bullshit mm-hmm. and we had to invite him back yeah, we had to bring him back again. Uh, he's He's got a lot of content, many words. We're excited to talk about him. And we've got a bonus segment that is not in the show uh, where he's going to give his take on NFTs. We want to give that NFT. We want to give that clip to you in the form of an NFT for free. We'll tell you how you can get it here after the interview. By the way, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. I'm Joel. Conn. Thank That's you. Thank you, right. Joel. I, I was excited to show up today. Yeah. It's good. Good that you're here. I'm here. You're here. And if you don't have the Nifty Club right there, you need to go do it. You can go to badcrypto.uncut.fm and get one. It's like 0.002 ETH. It's very low uh, because we wanted to, you know, we didn't want the bots to grab a bunch because that's how they roll. And we're not trying to have fake our numbers and anything. But we're going to start dropping. We've been dropping and we're going to start dropping even more cool things in there. So you guys, we've you dropped three that. so far, and, and I guess we'll tell you about it now instead of after the interview. Uh, but you need this Bad Crypto Nifty Club uh, membership. Go ahead and grab yours, and you, you're going to need to have this one. Let's see. the This episode um, is dropping on, I believe, Sunday the 20th. So you need to have one of these in your wallet by Thanksgiving Day. And then, uh, and then once you've got it, you're entitled to all the free drops that we give as well as other benefits. So far, there have been three drops, exclusive NFTs, and we want to give you the Brad Mills bonus NFT, his thoughts on NFTs. It's a two-minute video clip NFT exclusive for you guys. But let's find out what Brad thinks about everything but NFTs now in this exclusive interview with him. <laughs> This is a really rare moment. I think our guest today is the fastest repeat guest we've ever had on this show. Travis, it was May 15th of this year that we had Brad Mills on to talk about stablecoin lunacy, which would have been episode number, let me consult my notes here, episode number 608. Uh, but there's been so much 
happening in the crypto world. And I, I'm going to owe Brad a personal thank you here in a moment. But first, I want to welcome him back to uh, Bad Crypto. How you doing, man? I'm doing all right now. It's, you know, got heavy bags of Bitcoin that I'm carrying uh, through the mountain in the storm, but <laughs> I'm doing all right otherwise. I expected this, so I'm not surprised by sudden drops in my net worth. I was I was I was waiting for it. It's never happy to see it happen, but sucks yeah. for all the other people that are, you know, not heeding warnings and we're stuck in FTX and Celsius and stuff like that. But yeah, thanks for bringing me back. Well, I, let me start with the um the thank you. It was having you on the show. I I hardly lost anything with UST or Loon. I just had little trace amounts in there. Um I know a lot of people really got hurt, but when you were on the show, we talked about Celsius and some other uh, DeFi platforms and you raised the red flag over Celsius. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to this guy. And I pulled a substantial amount of money out of stablecoin that I had in Celsius. I think now my account has maybe $25, $30 left in it. And it was two weeks before they locked it down. So Domo oh, arigato, wow, wow. That's senior. good to hear. I'm glad I helped a couple people, man. It's good to hear that that you listened. It was a bunch of people were just kind of saying, "No, nah, you're just a maxi. You just don't like anything but Bitcoin. You're just fudding." So, I mean, that that's what happens with tribalism. So, people get kind of convinced, you know, that the guy that founded the project is good and they would never scam and but yeah, no thanks for that. That means a lot that I helped you and I got a couple texts from friends as well that, you know, one of my friends had a, I think it was, he said he had put a million dollars into Celsius. Yikes. He's an, entre an entrepreneur friend of mine that had sold his business. And I was like, dude, get that out. Like it's not worth the risk. And he did, he took it out. Thankfully. I had another friend who's a, a Bitcoin um, kind of like, he's like a fund manager type of guy. He had $10 million in Celsius. <laughs> and, and I mean that, that's, that's a significant amount of money, right? So he was initially skeptical to take it out. He was saying things like, well, the Ontario or the, Qu the Quebec Pension Fund did due diligence on Celsius. They wouldn't have invested institutional money if this wasn't a safe platform. And I was just thinking, man, like, you know, Bernie Madoff was the chairman of NASDAQ for many years. He ran a successful Ponzi scam. Institutional investors are just as dumb as the rest of us when it comes to FOMO. They just, the, the greed and the 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 relationship um kind of clout you want to be able to get to associate with somebody that's on fire and on a rocket ship it clouds judgment and um thankfully after a little bit of cajoling me and a couple of friends con convincing him he took his money off too hmm. so it's we've definitely heard stories of people that we've helped uh the the bitcoin maxis have helped people get out so i'm i'm glad that you were able to get out and you weren't hurt by that Look at all the millions that you have saved, people. Like that's great, right in itself. So we know FTX is a big W. What what the FTX what just went on? We've <laughs> talked about it. We saw that it happened. I I don't know how deep we want to go in that right now, Joel. Do we, is that what we want to do? We want to go into and talk about FTX. Um, or you know, I think we could talk a little bit about it. But you um you warned about this as well, right? When when were you talking about FTX and yeah, and raising I mean, the red flag? Back back in January, when I started first paying attention to the large growth in DeFi Ponzi schemes like Ohm Protocol, Wonderland Protocol, Terra Luna, 
I started to realize that this massive bubble was going to blow up the same as as other bubbles and Ponzi's in the traditional markets have before because they've basically just rebuilt everything that was toxic and, and over leveraged nonsense from the traditional markets in crypto. And they called it innovation and they put it on a blockchain and called it DeFi. Well, it doesn't take like a lot of digging to start to realize it's unsustainable, like to be able to get that kind of yield, 10, 20% yield when we're at like historically low interest rates and in traditional markets, something risky, extremely risky is going on there. And every time that there was a huge hack, like a uh, wormhole bridge got hacked or there was a problem with the Luna, um, the Luna, you know, exit door, the, the protocol only had a certain amount of liquidity for you to get out to, to burn the USD tokens and turn it back into Luna and then sell the Luna. Like there's only so much liquidity. And as these things grow so big, they just become unsustainable. And FTX, like Alameda, uh, Three Hours Capital, um, Jump, which is another one that still hasn't gone down yet, that's at risk of it. And a bunch of other big, huge VC firms like uh, Paradigm and A16Z and all these like bellwether VC brands. I mean, they're all kind of doing all this degenerate stuff and bailing out all these hacks that always happen in DeFi and trying to provide liquidity into the system like a central bank does. And we saw this at the turn of the century in the 1920s when the stock market sort of when the big panic happened, the stock market crashed. There was a lot of risky over leveraged nonsense happening. And JP Morgan would go around and like actually give cash to um, pensions and insurance funds and banks to try to keep the, the wheels greased so that, you know, you don't see liquidity lockups. Because when you see the liquidity lock up, that's when you run into big problems because people start to panic and they have fear and then they start to pull their money out. And that's when you get a run on the bank. Mm -hmm. So you have this like huge growth of people just thinking they're so smart and they're investing all their money. They're making tons of money. And then a bunch of retail gets sucked in because they see their they see the FOMO of all these returns that everybody else are making. So the retail players come in, they're not as sophisticated. And then there's all this like reputation sort of osmosis that happens where somebody wants to invest in this superstar because they want to be associated with them and they don't necessarily do any due diligence. So they don't, they don't, they say like, Oh, well, so-and-so is in, so I don't need to do my due diligence. You know, a 16 Z is in, I don't need to do my due diligence. They already right, did it. We're just right. going to, we're just going to jump into this rocket ship. So then you get into this situation where it just grows too big and it's all unsustainable. So back in January, you started to see like these, these guys that were really the trying to act like the central bankers of all this DeFi and crypto lending and yield farming and all that stuff, bailing out to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars of what like every month, Jump Capital had to bail out the wormhole bridge for three three hundred million, um, FTX, uh, Alameda, um, Three Hours Capital, like all these guys were each kind of doing these bailouts, and, and it was hundreds of millions of dollars every time it was happening. And even in the case of Luna, it was to the tune of, I think, two or three billion, wasn't it, that they announced they were going to put up to yeah, for the crazy. LFG? Yeah. So I got, a, I got a question around that, though. So would you say that pretty much all DeFi at this point is a scam? Because when I first saw DeFi, I was like, do I just not understand this? Or does this kind of seem like a Ponzi? They're literally printing money from nowhere. And so I was always like, what the hell's the deal on that? I never fully got it, I didn't think. Unless it just seems like it's maybe a scam. 
Well, I, I do believe that it's built on unethical foundation, uh, an unethical foundation and, and like a, a sort of a grifty um, insider game, whale whale game that most of crypto is actually where they they see the reason why jump and a16z and all these folks will bail out DeFi and crypto companies and stuff is because <clears throat> they own massive bags of tokens and they are also providing liquidity and making the markets and they can they can use this meteoric success of the the irrational idea that you can just print a token and then market make it on your exchange or or put in a hundred two hundred million dollars of liquidity in a DeFi protocol and say that that's valuable i mean sbf himself described this back in april may as basically a black box ponzi scam when he was talking to joe weisenthal uh on on odd lots <clears throat> and uh, i mean they were very surprised that he acknowledged that like what they had built was basically ponzi scams and sbf at the time said something critical he said if the world decides that what we did was okay, then you guys are wrong, you know, by saying, by judging that this is not ethical and it's not right and it's illegal and it's a Ponzi scam. But if the world decides in a coordinated way that what we did was wrong, then we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> so, so they were, all these guys were clearly aware that what they were doing, this whole foundation of DeFi yield farming DAOs, nft like all this stuff that they use to pump coins and just call it web3 it, it, it's no different than the last cycle that we we all saw happen which is icos and masternode coins giving you yield and all this stuff it got disproven the sec came out and said that this is not in compliance but the idea that you could just do it with smart contracts you know, instead of people and companies issuing tokens, it's like, oh, a smart contract is issuing the tokens, but we're just going to pre-mine it with our huge billion dollars of liquidity that we just plop into the DeFi protocol. So the form of DeFi that got built on crypto is extremely risky, mostly unethical grift that just gets VCs and insiders rich because they're the ones that pre-mine it and they're the ones that have the massive pools of liquidity to put in to get all the tokens out. And then what does this mean then to, to Ethereum? Uh, what do you think, you know, what, what are your thoughts on Vitalik and Ethereum and the whole ERC 20 and all of the protocols? I know what you think about NFTs. You told us about that last time, but let's just go right to the, you know, the, the root of it. Well, so, so to, to kind of like answer the first question, I never even fully got to the end of like, it, it is all related and it's kind of confusing. You got to you got to draw one of those like conspiracy maps out on the board and like put all the pins together to sort of connect this narrative and this logic. F summing it up, you asked, like, was it obvious that FTX was going to come down? And I described the the foundation that this whole thing was built on and how that enabled extreme risk taking and suspension of logic to be able to value something like an FTT token in the, in, in the multi-billions, tens of billions of, of uh, range. And there's lots of examples of that. It's not just FTT token. There's lots of tokens that are just, Michael Saylor's been calling them air tokens. You know, they're just, they're just full of hot air. And, and it really is kind of insidious because the VCs hold bags of it. The VCs are the liquidity pool providers the, and the traders work with the VCs to do market making and mark the price up and keep the prices high. 
so they they do that and then they borrow against the tokens that's the worst part they borrow against them use them as collateral borrow against them and then go pump more stuff in DeFi and in crypto they just go yeah, I, I have to follow crazy. up to that, that because crazy. you're you're mentioning that there's um you know there's others you know let's go ahead issue the warning in your opinion as we look at DeFi here in coin gecko uh you know which of these coins have the biggest red flag for you so the way that i see that this contagion continuing to play out is not necessarily a specific coin right now that's going to go down. I think if anybody lived through the bear market of 2018 and 2019, and maybe Guilty. even participated in the SAFT market where people in 2017, the SAFT market was like super hot, like Telegram ICO, for example, was this really exclusive uh, ICO that, you know, they had raised a couple billion dollars from private investors and a lot of the crypto funds and crypto traders were just really wanted to get a piece of the Telegram ICO. Yeah. Well, I would also but, say this is that in that time, there's not a lot you could do with your Ethereum, right? If you had Ethereum, well, you could do with it. Well, you could trade it and use it to buy some things, but it was mostly participate in ICOs. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff you could do with your Ethereum yet in 2017, 18. Well, so so we're back. We're in that we're in that cycle where Ethereum was pumped from what was it was a $10 to $1,400 or something like that in 2017, uh, January, 2018 was the peak. And that's based on the back of the whole DAP NFT crypto kitties was the first one, but DAPs, NFTs and ICOs. That was really what drove a lot of FOMO into the Ethereum token because you had to go buy Ethereum to go buy an ICO or to use, you know, crypto kitties. And, that was really what drove the demand for Ethereum, along with just general crypto FOMO. Because when Bitcoin goes up, you have this this like rising tides thing because the regulators hadn't given clear guidance as to what these things all are. So at in 2017, there was no clear guidance that like maybe Ethereum was a security and there was risk there. Maybe Ripple's a security. Maybe 90% of the stuff is securities and they shouldn't be traded on regulated exchanges there was no clear guidance yet um so the thing went crazy and then what happened through 2018 and 2019 people started to realize well the sec started coming out with clear guidance that you couldn't do unregistered securities offerings they announced that the dow was a security the original dow was a security and the original ethereum ico was a securities offering they didn't make any specific concrete statements as to whether or not eth was a security currently, but they clearly said that if you're doing an unregistered ICO thing, you're not in compliance with securities laws and that the original sale of Ethereum was a security and then Bitcoin was not because it wasn't sold to anybody. So Bitcoin's the only sort of real decentralized property that exists in the crypto space. And so that's where you were in 2017 and 2018 and 19 after the sec came out with their statements it took a good year for people to realize wait a second this market's done like ethereum's going down for a long time crypto is just going to go cratered it's either going to go negative 95 percent or to zero in most cases because people that had all this fomo to try to get safts that they had missed in the bull run they, they were buying things still at about this time, say October, November 2018, which is about exactly where we are in the timeline of this bear market. We're at October, we're in November 2022, which is 
very much the same as uh, November 2018. People started realizing, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't be buying SAFTs for these hot ICOs that I couldn't afford or couldn't get access to in 2017 at a a 50%, 60% discount. Maybe I'm actually burning my money and what I should be doing is selling everything and going into Bitcoin or just taking my money back if you're not convicted enough on Bitcoin to hold it. Like just just go back into dollars and leave because everybody had the hopium and the fuel of all that excitement and all the money that they were making in the in the bubble. And they never reconciled it until probably mid, you know, like early 2019. People started realizing like the SEC is not backing down from all these non-compliant ICOs. And all this stuff is like way overvalued. So all these all these people that that used ETH to buy ICOs and like, you know, do, there was DEXs back then. Ether Delta was a popular DEX. Bancor was a popular DEX. Um, people were using ETH. There was lots of pairs you could trade against. There was a Kyber network and Zero X protocol. Like there was a whole bunch of DeFi stuff that was built back then. And people were using ETH for it, but it still didn't prevent the the absolute carnage in the markets in 2019 as people started to realize that all this stuff was not in compliance. And, you know, it was like a liquidity squeeze and everybody just wanted liquidity. That's what the story of 2009 was. Everybody just wanted liquidity. So the, the bid for SAFs just completely disappeared. There was a bunch of funds that went bankrupt and then like a bunch of SAFs got dumped onto the market and people were just realizing, wait, everybody's trying to get their money back. A bunch of these ICO projects were just selling their ETH to get back the dollars because the price of ETH was cratering. It was down like 60% or 70%. So it was a game of chicken where the ICOs that had raised hundreds of millions of dollars realized we're going to have to fund our projects. And if ETH keeps going down, we need to sell. At the beginning in the in the raw raw bull market, everybody was thinking like, I won't sell if you won't sell, because if we all hold our ETH, it's going to go up in price and then we'll all be on the moon. Right. But as the bear market grinded on slowly, it was just nothing but like negative, negative pressures and contagion from people realizing they have to sell all that ETH treasury. And there's really nothing you can do with ETH in the ICO markets. And the SEC shut down Ether Delta. They fined the founder and they made them shut it down. So it was clear, like they came out and stated, like these decentralized exchanges are not in compliance because all they do is enable unregistered securities trading. So we... Like we had, yeah, we got to leave guidance. that. We got to leave that for the for the real criminals in in the in Capitol Hill <laughs> at Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, Wall Street and Capitol Hill. We got to leave that to them. Well, look, part of it is that they, you know, and this is not it's not bad to acknowledge this. Like they have a monopoly a monopoly on money laundering and crime in the traditional banking system. I mean, they, so you think about it, like they have such a stranglehold. They have law on their side. They have the guns, right? They are not just going to sit by and allow token creators and VCs in Silicon Valley and, you know, quant devs over in the Bahamas to be able to just like take over the business and decentralize them and disintermediate Wall Street and and Capitol Hill. They're not going to allow that. So obviously they're going to use the SEC. They're going to use the the DOJ and the FATF regulations and FinCEN and all of these regulators that they already have put in place to, to sort of keep their control of everything they're going to use it and so the way that like you know this was a nonsense bubble in 2017 we realized it we saw the flush out in 2018-19 everybody learned lessons well what happens in 2020 you know the federal reserve starts pumping trillions of dollars into the markets 
keeps interest rates the lo- lower than they've ever been in history. And, and and like the the regulators just stand back and think that because they made all these statements before, they're not going to have to deal with crypto anymore because it's all dead. And Dreesen Horowitz and all these big VC firms start just basically wash trading and pumping money into into this new thing that they called liquidity mining or yield farming. They created this yield farming concept in 2020. And so they piled hundreds of millions of dollars. And this is where the Alameda team, like the FTX team, started to really shine because they were like first in that Ponzi and they created their own. Like they created the Solana blockchain with Serum Dex and the FTT token and a whole bunch of other ICO things that they launched, which were all DeFi sort of like related projects to compete with Ethereum and the Andreessen Horowitz a paradigm Coinbase uh, Ethereum maximalist crowd. And then there was Binance at the same time doing, they launched Binance Smart Chain. They decided, well, we want to compete with Ethereum's broken anyway. The fees are $1,000 to unwrap your Bitcoin. If you wanted to put Bitcoin on, wrap it on Ethereum and use it for DeFi and then take it off, you'd be paying $1,000 in fees just to get it off. So Solana and Binance and all these other layer ones started to compete. And they all started to doing the same like infrastructure funds where they would basically put up a billion dollars of capital of, of like honeypot capital to get devs to come fork things over from ethereum and build on solana and build on avalanche and all you saw was really the rise of like legitimate nonsense ponzi schemes like ohm and wonderland and stuff like that which if anybody got caught in those i'm sorry but, but they they grew to multi-billions as well and i know a lot that's of called friends. rebasing come on yeah the rebasing the rebasing, rebasing. We saw it. We were like, "What the hell is this?" I played around with this a little bit you know, on it, and I was like, "What? Fifty thousand so percent APY? To what Total- the hell is this?" <laughs> yeah, you're totally logical, right? Fifty thousand yeah, percent it. APY. So that's low. So- Fifty thousand APY. That's so <laughs> yeah, low. What are you were, talking some about? Of, some of them were millions. Uh, I remember Kimshi was one that was in DeFi summer 2020, and at one point it was a million percent APY, but. Obviously, there's a whole slew of like really risky nonsense stuff, but then there is some things that they actually built in DeFi that were interesting from a technology perspective. Like the concept of being able to do a decentralized exchange is is a worthwhile thing to try to build. The idea of Uniswap, actually, it was funny. The founder of Uniswap, uh, Hayden Adams, I think his name is, he was like pissed off that Bancor raised so much money and did an ICO and launched a bank or token BNT. He was like this kind of cypherpunk esque Ethereum dev. I don't think he had any perverse incentives or was a bad guy or anything like that. I kind of respected him. He was like pissed off that they had raised a hundred million dollars and launched a token. He's like, you don't need a token to do a decentralized exchange. So he forked their code and he just ripped out the token and he just made Uniswap and people started to use Uniswap because there was no need for a token. So that actually got people using it, some people. I mean, and then he created a token. And then what? Yeah, exactly. Then the VCs invested in them and they launched a token and made themselves a billion dollars printing these DeFi tokens. It just clearly shows that there's like nothing but perverse incentives here. And and like there is some truth when people say, like, oh, well, you can use decentralized exchange, you can use Aave, Borland protocols. There's there's some curve and yearn and compound and all these different like Lego blocks or whatever you want to call them, decentralized finance primitives. Yes, the technology in some cases is interesting, but that doesn't mean that it, it validates the idea that you can just launch a token based on that and the token has any value. And we've seen that because 
a year and a half ago, I went on Kobe's podcast, uh, up only with Kobe Ledger, Peter McCormick and Udi Wertheimer. And I pretty much was predicting the collapse of the DeFi tokens. They were all calling me like a boomer maxi saying, you know, you just don't understand it. You don't think anything but Bitcoin is valuable. And I'm saying like, no, like fundamentally, you guys are in a bubble logic. You're drinking Kool-Aid. Look at the valuation of these DeFi tokens. Even even if we suspend the the, the, the Bitcoin or logic and, you know, I, I'm just going to come at this neutral, right? And I'm going to say, okay, let's say that Curve has its token and we treat Curve like a decentralized stock and not in a bad way, not like it's a securities thing. The SEC has to shut it down, nothing like that. Just say that you value it like a stock. Well, like a company, you value with something called the price to earnings ratio, the PE ratio. And you look at a lot of stocks in the, in the, on the public markets and they're way overvalued. A lot of tech stocks, a lot of tech stocks are like 20, 30, 40 X PE ratios, which is just crazy. But then you look at DeFi and they were at like 100x, 200x, 400x PE ratios because these tokens, they kind of are a, like a, 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 an earn mechanic where if the protocol generates, say, a million dollars a day in swapping fees, then a portion of that is shared back to the curve token holders. So, I mean, literally, it's like a security, but it's decentralized, right? So you can't, you know, whatever. But let's just forget about that argument and say, Okay, well, if you value this thing based on fundamental logic, then that chart you just showed me of all the CoinGecko DeFi index, everything is way overvalued even still, even though we've gone through this bear market so far a year in or whatever, things are still extremely overvalued because if you look at their PE ratios or how much how many fees they generate and pay back to the token holders, it's insanely overvalued. So I don't want to say that like curve token is a Ponzi scheme because I want to be correct in my criticism. Curve token is not a Ponzi scheme. Okay. But what they did do was build a Ponzi scheme on top of curve token. They built this thing called convex and convex is like a bribery mechanism that the only goal of the convex protocol is to buy up as many curve tokens as possible and then allow protocol owners to bribe the convex token holders to allow them to get onto curve i mean it's insane it's like literally it's just a protocol for for unethical behavior <laughs> convex is just the most insane it's a ponzinomic it's a ponzinomic mechanic on top of ponzinomics curve and i love ponzinomics. it is it's not tokenomics it's ponzinomics yeah so let me ask you this then so you know, some people are saying, okay, yeah, the crypto market, a trillion dollars already. Like, what is it worth that much? I mean, it got up to, I don't even remember the top, top two something trillion. Here we are, way less than that. Three, three and a half, it, I want to say. Three and a half trillion. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I look at some of these and I was like, well, what exactly does, does this do to be worth several billion dollars right now? Like, that was my thing with one of the tokens that I hit on. And I was like, wait a second, there's no way that Ecomi, VV, the OMI token, is worth $2.6 billion right now. Like, right. I was like, dude, this is the top. You got to sell it. and Or at least that's what that's what I kind of screamed from the mountains. Selling. And uh, and people are like, you're an idiot. You're, you don't even know. And I was like, <laughs> well, I know that they don't do $2.5 billion worth of business right now. 
Right. D- dude, like it was nuts at the top of the bubble. And this is why we get to the place where people overlook fraud, like what's happening with Alameda and what's still happening in crypto markets with a lot of the people that are just trying to deflect blame and say, oh, Sam Bankman Freed was a fraud. He's a scam bankster fraud. He's not he's not us. We're n- that's not DeFi or crypto. Like, don't blame us. But really, it's they are all in this incestuous like circle jerk of like token trading and liquidity mining, like wash trading, basically, and pre-mining and dumping on people and elevating this logic that like a JPEG monkey picture can be worth a million dollars or a curve token can have a 400 XP E ratio and it makes any kind of sense or that makes no sense. Like when you talk about price to earnings ratio, here's the price, here's the earnings. Seriously, when you're talking about the stock market, maybe it's a 10x. Maybe it's a, yeah. there's a 10, 10x uh, price to earnings. In crypto, it seems like some of that shit doesn't even apply. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, and this is me trying to be generous and not say, like, these are all scams and uh, Bitcoin's the only thing you should pay attention to. I'm trying to, like, take the, like, unbiased middle ground here as much as I possibly can because I'm very much, like, moral impugnance, you know. I have this moral impugnance when I look at all this stuff, because it's just like, I know that there's some person, some VC taking advantage of retail people, just printing all this money by selling people on the narrative that defies the future. And this is web three and you're in control and blah, blah, blah. When it's them, the same people that ruined web two are actually just coming in here, pre-mining everything and launching it out and then selling it to you saying, Oh, this is a read, write own. This is web three. You own it. No, it's the VCs that ruined the first, like the last version of the internet are pre-mining and selling you dog shit and making you uh, believe it's, you know, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid, believing it's the future. When it's I loved, really I love dog different. shit. Dog shit is my favorite. Term. He likes poo coin, <laughs> which really begs do. the question about the <laughs> elephant uh, in the living room, or in this case, the donkey, even left leaning uh, Axios is bringing the story out right now that millions of dollars millions went from bankman fried i think he was the second biggest donor to democratic campaigns and you know the midterms just happened there are accusations out there that this was one of the biggest money laundering um scandals like this is the biggest thing since enron to happen uh, you know i don't know where you are at politically but on its face, does it appear like there's some really shady stuff going on with with uh, crypto, the Democratic Party, Ukraine, all of this? Is it all mixed together? In some ways, I think it is. Um, I think that there's there's two kind of ways to look at the the way that Sam was donating money to the Democrats. There's let's assume just capitalist intent okay let's just assume he was a capitalist and he got over his skis you know by stealing customers money and trying to trade with it let's just say he got over his skis let's say he's not you know like he he, okay let's just go on that logic path so he's a capitalist he's trying to make as much money as he can he's trying to build the biggest exchange as as he possibly can and he's trying to get regulations passed for crypto so that he doesn't get regulated out of existence so that the world doesn't come together in a coordinated way to figure out this was all Ponzi scams and (laughs) send them to jail. So let's say that's the path. Well, it would make sense because, you know, his, his family, like he has political connections and he's, you know, the, his, I think his, his mom was at MIT or something like that. Like his dad's a lawyer. 
um, that worked, I think, with SEC or something. There's 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 definitely connections there, government and uh, and and you know the elite of the top universities of the United States. So he has pedigree. So he's seasoned, and he he can he can have doors open for him easier than somebody like CZ, who's you know like kind of playing fast and loose and shirking regulations. Cause so so Sam starts to like want to engage with U.S. regulators. He sets up FTX UX, uh, U.S. I mean, he starts democrating to the Democratic Party. Uh, he starts to lobby lawmakers. Um, his Carolyn, who is you know, one of the people at Alameda, which is the sister company there, who wasn't in charge until the, the CEO, Sam Trabuco, stepped down back in August, which was a huge red flag to me. And I was tweeting about it, uh, that he stepped down. Um, so she she kind of came in to lead Alameda and she has this connection in with Gary Gensler in this sort of like two degrees of separation and that there's a relationship between her father who worked with Gary at MIT and then some other like his boss. Okay. Just say it. Yes. There's incestuous. There is bullshit happening here. There is, but there's two ways to look at it. Like for sure, no matter which way you look at it, there's definitely like he's greasing the wheels and trying to use money to influence regulators to like favorably um, give him better access and put him in a stronger position. <laughs> So there's there's two ways to look at it. One is the conspiracy way and one is the c- capitalist sort of way. I'm like in the middle. I kind of lean towards more of the conspiracy one on this one because it sounds it, it's a little bit too, too crazy. What happened with FTX? And, and this this adds fuel to it right here. The New York Times puts out a puff piece. On <laughs> yeah, Sam insane. Insane. And we know New York Times is an extremely you know leftist Democrat leaning publication it's not even up for debate and they're getting called out on on this pup piece of course by their competition at the new york uh you know post but then you've got brian armstrong saying that uh, twitter's broken just about every piece of ftx new york times is writing puff pieces on a criminal for a criminal feels like a turning point for citizen journalism and loss of trust in msm uh hello mr armstrong welcome to 2016 <laughs> uh, that this this is not new. This is more than six years old, but we saw it really begin to surface when Trump came down that escalator and all of a sudden journalism went out the window. I mean, it's been it's been a long it's a, it's been a long history of biased reporting um, that I don't think even started in 2016. I think it got worse as centralization happened more in the advertising and, and social media news industry, it got worse and um, censorship. They, they lost worse. their minds though. When Oh yeah. When well, for sure. Did. That was it. That was like whatever, wherever level of lunacy they were at, whatever trust they had, they're like, screw it. We're going all in with our bias, whatever it means. Yeah. It's, it's, and you can look at it like they the Democrats were kind of or Democratic Party received the most bonuses. You had Bill Clinton on stage at the FTX conference there. Um, it's it's obviously like they want to they want to kind of protect their own. They don't want to make it seem like they were complicit in this thing when when they really were. Uh, so they want to minimize the impact, of course. And it's super biased because, you know, they put this hit piece out on. Jesse Powell from Kraken because he 
he was like kind of debating the the idea of cancel culture and things like that and they were just like offended morally that he would question the idea of like the the, the cancel culture thing so they put out this scathing sort of hit piece on him and then yeah once sbf comes out as a as a, a massive fraud uh they 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 don't want to like make it look like oh well, that's the guy that was our guy right that was that was the guy that was the number one or number two donor to the democratic party so you know 10 million or 11 million to biden's campaign and was planning a billion dollars you know he was saying he was going to give a billion dollars to democratic politicians mm-hmm. but it's even it's even like less than the political thing i think like on the capitalist sort of crypto side the way that I look at it more is that, look, Sam was printing tens of billions of dollars, just like Andreessen Horowitz, just like Coinbase Ventures, just like Binance, just like Three, uh, three Arrows Capital was like all of these firms were doing the same degenerate like nonsense. In some ways, it was fraud that they were just printing their own tokens and they were propping it up with this concept of Web3 and DeFi and pumping it with billions of dollars of money and liquidity and like getting people like um katie hahn from a16 crypto and like balaji srinivasan who's a huge vc in the space to go on huge influential podcasts like the tim ferris show and show this logic to people that you should you should pay attention to DeFi and put your money into it and then obviously all the nonsense they did with the with the nfts tying all that into where they were literally paying celebrities to shill stuff putting free stuff in their wallets and then putting them on the Jimmy Fallon show. I mean, there was a lot of nonsense going on. And when you think about it, like Bitcoin is competing with every single other token on the planet. Every other cryptocurrency token is competing with Bitcoin. They're all trying to like suck away investor mindshare and dollars and store of value. People are, tr- people were treating JPEGs like store of value. People were looking at, um, other world or whatever the hell that thing was that the that the the ape people launched as you know if bitcoin's other side other side yeah bitcoin's too expensive (laughs) for you you know buy some buy some other side buy some ape coin and it was being pushed by coinbase and Robinhood and all these big retail exchanges so from the top down you had all these all these people trying to push confusing bad logic out to investors and high net worth individuals like Mike Novogratz, who was literally shilling Ponzi scams like Luna to high net worth individuals. And Raul Paul from Real Vision, who was co-founder of Real Vision, was one of the biggest Luna shills there was and had all of his net worth in Luna. There... Novogratz even got a, a Luna tattoo. Yeah. So like, look, top down, you had all this dumb logic be pushed from uh, from either VCs or celebrity influencers that had influence on high net worth individuals and retail traders to suck in tens of millions of people into like just suspending their logic and and going and gambling their money and all this crazy garbage. So SBF is just one pillar in that. There's lots of other pillars. There's the whole, like I said, Silicon Valley you know, there's the beautiful tattoo right there. I'm sure he, I, I like calling him Mike No Regrets. <laughs> Instead of Mike, yeah. Mike he, Novogratz, <laughs> he uh, he, of course, you know, has to make a culp on it and basically say, well, now it's uh, it's just a reminder, you know, to him. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that's uh, the story right here. Uh, Luna Tattoo is a constant reminder that investing requires humility. 
dude, life requires humility. It's just, you know, if you get all proud about what you're doing, life will take you down a peg. It's just, it's how the world works. I think, I think, I think it's more insidious than that, man. Like he was doing something highly unethical. He's either a complete jackass moron that doesn't see a Ponzi scam when it's staring him in the face enough that he tattoos it on himself, which shows me he's just a literal idiot. Like he, he's just a, a, a moron. If he's a money manager with that much money in Luna, like tens of millions or more in Luna, or I, it, he's a liar and he knew what right. he was doing and he knowingly sucked in millions of people to put their money in the Ponzi scam because what he did was two or three nights before the whole thing blew up, he pulled hundreds of millions of dollars out of it. Man, that's what I, that's I, criminal. I don't know. That, that I don't is... know exactly if it was hundreds of millions. It was significant money, though, a like it, it was either 30 million or 300 million, whatever. What doesn't matter, really. All the point is that he got people into the Ponzi scam. He got his money out. Everybody else got wrecked. And then he says, oh, yeah, I guess it's a reminder that you got to have humility. Right. No, like he's he's no different than the Wolf of Wall Street guy, like suckering people into penny stocks and then Amen. dumping garbage on them. Who's getting saying, a second chance? Like that dude, who's the Wolf of Wall Street guy? What's his Jordan name? somebody? Jordan Belfort. Belfort. Yeah. He like people, he still puts on events and people still come to him as a guru. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, fool me once. Yeah. Shame on you. Fool me twice. We won't get fooled again. Shame on me. <laughs> oh, sorry. You saw this, Trev. You saw this. Like SBF is now coming out. He did this whole long thread of cryptic tweets, mm -hmm. and now because he's, he's like, going in the back end and deleting certain tweets, somebody grabbed all of his tweets and saw that for every one new one that he would create, a previous one got deleted. Oh my gosh! That, but I want to say this cut. before we get into that. I want to say this because I want to jump in. Um, so you say Novogratz? He basically pulled his money out, didn't say shit. CZ which I'm having more and more respect for all the time because he saw it go down. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to liquidate this FTT because it looks like it's not good and we don't like how they're operating. And he was very public about it. So to me, I was like, kudos to you, bro. I, I earned a little respect for you. Additional. I agree with that, man. I think that's true. I think CZ, I'm just more inclined to trust him, even though like I'm not recommending people use Binance or put their money on Binance. But of of all of these crypto casino operators, like CZ feels at least like he has reverence for Bitcoin and he respects Bitcoin and he doesn't FUD Bitcoin. Like that was the thing SBF was doing that, uh, like I'm saying, it, I don't I don't necessarily think it was so much a political cover up thing where it's like the 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 uh, powers that be in the traditional markets were actually just trying to prop him up. And then, you know, he's actually a CIA agent or something like that and he's like he's a spook and he actually blew the whole thing up on purpose to give them an excuse to come in and heavily regulate that's one of the conspiracy narratives going around i mean it's compelling because all the shit that happened that blew up with ftx will cause a huge backlash from regulators but i think more so what it was was just he had this opportunity to grab a hold of a market lead against binance if the world started to regulate crypto and if he was able to get regulations passed that gave his shitcoin printing abilities a little run for their money. Well, they are definitely coming out now and saying that uh, they've scheduled a hearing to investigate what happened with FTX. And of course, it's just going to be an opportunity for them to all grandstand and show how smart they are and not listen to the actual people 
that are that are testifying and maybe uh, maybe your conspiracy theory is accurate but you know l- let's look back here at, at sam's tweets he comes out with all these cryptic tweets and now he's promising to try again um, to try to recover people's money and here's the part that gets me the most when we get to the fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me kevin o'leary says that he is willing to give um uh, he'd invest in sam bankman freed again which causes like whatever respect I had for Mr. Wonderful to go. You're Mr. Stupid, Mr. Idiot. (laughs) What in the world are what? Do you know how many, how influential that is to other people that have just lost a lot of money and you're talking that you would invest in this thief again? Well, he was talking about how, you know, he's looking for one of these big companies to crash because that could be the moment that he could then go in. He's going to think that's near the bottom. And if we're talking on the theory that, that uh, Brad here had and said, well, we're kind of like we were November, 2018, 2018 was near the low of crypto. Like, and then that, but 2018, there was not a big collapse of trust in crypto space. It was rebuilding. People were taking their time. They were holding. Well, actually it it wasn't, it was 2019 when the real bear market happened. Like 2018 was like the slow unwind of the bubble. And then 2019 was really the capitulation phase. It was long and brutal. And the price of ETH went from 1400 to something like, I think, 400 in 2018. No, it went and down then, to 89 bucks down in, this, in November of 2018. That's 2019. Was, was it 2019? Maybe I was looking at the wrong one because that's what I saw. It was like, Almost ninety bucks at one point. So maybe I was looking at twenty nineteen. Maybe it was. I'm I'm just going by memory on this. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure though that two thousand nineteen was like the real capitulation where we saw the like SAFT liquidity go to zero. A lot of altcoins that completely got delisted, so their their prices went completely to zero, and ETH just kept trending down, 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 down to eventually got to eighty dollars or so. And that was yep. that was um. You know, that's like what I think is in for the next year. That's that's what I believe is going to happen over the next year, maybe two years at this point, because what just what just transpired in the crypto markets is just insane. Like the fact that nobody saw this stuff, it's just going to give the regulators an excuse to come in and say, look, these people are all children and scammers. They can't be left alone in a room with each other. They're going to like start cannibalizing each other and they're going to lose everybody's money. So we have to come in and regulate this. They're, they're not responsible. And, you know, they got, they're pushing Ponzi schemes and can't see obvious fraud in front of their faces. And look at all this insane, reg, like, unregistered broker-dealer stuff happening and celebrities acting like promoters of complete garbage. So we have to come in and regulate. And this is going to be good, actually, because it'll cause more people to, to finally be able to wake up and see the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. Because right now it's very confusing because they can go out there and say absolute trash. Like people with millions of YouTube subscribers that have no business telling people advice on how they should invest their money have the respect in a bull market as if they're some kind of smart you know, financial advisor that knows the difference between Bitcoin and a DeFi token or an NFT land coin or whatever. And comparing them almost the same. So you end up with a lot of people getting into things like Celsius because they want yield or a lot of people going into DeFi and thinking that they're going to be doing yield farming and getting yield. 
So I think it's important that they recognize that it's not just SBF was a fraudster. It's that like they got to have some introspection and realize that they are the ones that enabled this market to get to a place where it can be a complete fraudulent base and grow massively to the point where it's going to be literally Ponzi scams blowing up and burning tens of billions of people's dollars. Because that's where it got to. And they're all trying to sidestep it right now. You can see if you go on Twitter spaces or listen to any interviews like what you just said with Kevin O'Leary or like what the New York Times is doing. They're all trying to sidestep it and say like, mm-hmm. oh, we couldn't see this coming or, oh, he's a good guy. We did our due diligence. We'd invest again. They're, they're really trying to sidestep it and say things like they're either doing that or they're saying things like he was the fraud. It's a centralized exchange. That's the problem. You got to go into DeFi. Or you got to hold your own keys uh, with with Ethereum. Like they're they're trying to basically sidestep the whole entire rest of the picture. And dude, I came on this podcast back in May talking about DeFi. Like Luna was mm-hmm. DeFi, so so it started with DeFi. Really, it was these centralized people that were propping up DeFi money printing games, and then it yeah they made markets on centralized exchanges. They they listed the DeFi coins on centralized exchanges. And then that caused a whole bunch of crazy nonsense to grow even bigger. But this started from DeFi. Like DeFi is the problem here. The the Ethereum DeFi. I'd, I like I like the idea. Like I said before, of decentralized lending, decentralized exchange. Obviously, money is the biggest use case that you can ever have for decentralized finance. Like the money is the biggest use case of decentralized finance. Having a money that's sound and and fixed and trustworthy in terms of its monetary policy, something predictable for a hundred years in the future. That's a 10 X improvement over gold. And that's not going to just slowly be debased like the dollar. Bitcoin is perfect money and it's the building block of DeFi. You got to start with a sound money and that's what Bitcoin is. And we're building out decentralized finance on Bitcoin. So it's just not done with all these token Ponzi scams attached to it. It's going to be just done like technology, like BitTorrent or Do you Bitcoin. expect, do you think that uh, that the government is going to come out and say, hey, these are all unregistered securities and we're going to see thousands of coins just go to zero? Is that is that it's, likely? It's likely at this point. I mean, it, it's pretty clear what the SEC has been signaling for the last little while. And then recently with the with the library case. Um, they, you know, that's a weird one if you're not really paying too much attention because you're like, why would they go after library? That's like a 2016 ICO that raised like $500,000. It's like Mm -hmm. a peanut compared to EOS and, and all this other stuff with FTT token and the billions and Solana and Ethereum and all these other things that raised, you know, either raised billions or became the pre-mine bag of it was worth billions. So why would they go after library? Well, it's actually in in a game theory sort of scenario. Library gives them a, a precedent because it's a court ruling to be able to have legal ground that all of these things are securities. And library didn't even do a traditional ICO. They didn't actually like do this big thing with an ICO. They actually just sold pre-mined coins to people after the project launched. Hmm. So... It's an important case. It's an important ruling because it went to the courts. And, you know, obviously we've had tons of SEC settlements where they've said like, you know, hey, Kim Kardashian, you can't just go out and promote this thing. 
here's a fine for five hundred thousand dollars or a million or whatever it is. Or hey, like you know, kin, you can't just launch this illegal security. You're gonna have to send all the money back to all the investors. Um, there's all kinds of things like that that happen, but this this one actually sets a precedent that the courts have decided in the SEC's favor. So now this spells a lot of problems for um, all the other cryptocurrencies that are most likely unregistered securities because the shit that blew up in the last eight months in crypto is going to cause an extreme backlash from the regulators to come and look at these markets. And even with the OFAC sanctioning the tornado cash protocol and arresting the dev, you can see like it's clear they don't want to see decentralized finance on Ethereum succeed from multiple angles. They don't want to see it be able to be used for criminal money laundering and funding Russia and all blah, 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 like all the traditional rules that they have in the financial system. Whether you agree with that or not, like it's not even a comment on that. It's just they have the guns. They have the regulations in place. It's clear they're enforcing the regulations on DeFi. So people are just out there screaming in the wind saying, yeah, but we want to be able to do it. Well, the SEC has rules and they have the authority. So you're either risking going to jail or getting a huge fine by just going against the SEC, going against OFAC, going against FATF. And look, the only community that is decentralized enough to withstand a government regulatory clampdown is Bitcoin. There actually is nothing that the regulators can do to the Bitcoin protocol to change the Bitcoin protocol. We we saw that play out with the Segwit2x sort of no2x movement, the block size wars in 2017. The Bitcoiners like that were running their own nodes. It got it, it, like it, it it proved out that. The, the Bitcoin network and the consensus of Bitcoin is not controlled by corporations. It's not controlled by miners. It's controlled by users that run nodes. So it doesn't matter what the government says to the mining companies or to the Bitcoin developers. It's the, it's the, it's the 100,000 users that run their own nodes that actually enforce the rules of Bitcoin. And just like how in BitTorrent, it's illegal to download movies, but people still do it anyways because there's like too many people to, to enforce the rule. They can't stop Bitcoin. They can't change Bitcoin. But well, Karen on Capitol Hill has called and asked to speak to the manager of Bitcoin. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to talk to the manager. Who's in charge here? <laughs> Nobody. That that is, that is true. So as we as we wrap this thing up here, you know, give a warning to people maybe around your thoughts around CBDCs because as I'm looking at this thing and as we've talked, Joel and I've talked about this, it seems that FTX was a Ponzi set up. Uh, with the intention to eventually try to crash crypto. They're laundering money that they're giving to Ukraine. It's going back to the politicians, not only on the Democrat side. Mitch McConnell got $2.5 million. They were showing it. And then right after that, boom, oh, hey, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna test a 12-week CBDC pilot program, you guys. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with FTX or any of that. So, <laughs> I mean, seriously, this seems like the worst sort of dystopian kind of thing we could possibly have is this yeah i'm not i'm not super worried about cbdc's because i just don't think that we have a culture here where people would want to use them and even if they did want to use them let's say it's like a real uh sort of brainwashing scenario like what happened with the covid situation where people just politically aligned to to an opinion because of 
they're they're force fed opinions from top down from celebrities and and government officials and it and you it just want granny to die that's, that's yeah yeah that's all brad mills you just want granny to die <laughs> so so if they can figure out a way to like get you to adopt the cbdc based on that sort of like manipulation like maybe they introduce a ubi four hundred dollars a month the only way you can get it is if you use the cbdc wallet or something like that what what if what if they just say what if the government says uh we are extincting the dollar and dollar for dollar that's what i'm saying like they won't be able to just do something like that in the united states it's not china like you guys have a much more uh, yeah but but you guys have a much more like anti-authoritarian freedom culture than china or even canada where i live so i don't think that they can actually force a, a change over to cbdc's i think they'll have to entice people to do it through um creative things like a ubi you know if you don't use it you don't get the ubi here's 500 a month for everybody who uses our wallet and if they do that i mean that's actually kind of good for bitcoin i believe because it will it will you know, it doesn't matter if it's a dollar or a CBDC, it gets people more thinking digitally and it will show the need for Bitcoin. It'll further separate Bitcoin from everything else because Bitcoin will be then even more will be the only decentralized censorship resistant money that we have in the world. So I think it's good for Bitcoin and Bitcoin holders should definitely be wary of CBDCs. But I actually think that the crypto thing is a more insidious threat to Bitcoin success because it's propped up by influencers that are not trying to like surveil you necessarily. They're just trying to get rich. And they're, you know, they were effectively using celebrity influence to brainwash tens of millions of people into buying garbage and not paying attention to Bitcoin. And, you know, CZ was out there. Our, uh, Sam was SBF was out there lobbying against Bitcoin, saying things like Lightning Network is too slow. You know, you can't use that for money for the world. Uh, Solana is the solution. And his lobbying that he was doing was basically trying to put Bitcoin and Ethereum and Solana in the same category legally. So uh, clearly there's objectives here from the Ethereum crowd, like Coin Center is funded by consensus and they benefited greatly at least. 10 million or maybe maybe four million dollars or something off the gitcoin scam that got ran in 2021 mm-hmm. um consensus airdropped like tons of gitcoin co- tokens to con- to to uh coin center and then coin center goes and lobbies and tries to convince the government that ethereum is not a security so you have like all of these coin foundations and lobby groups fighting against bitcoin trying to lump Bitcoin in with all the Ponzi's and nonsense that happened in crypto. And honestly, it's like, that's what I think is more at play here. I don't necessarily think it's so much like political conspiracies. It's just incentives. Like Ripple is literally funding Greenpeace to FUD Bitcoin and say proof of work is evil and it's going to boil the oceans. Ethereum and consensus are out there trying to FUD Bitcoin saying, oh, now we're proof of stake. We're green coin. Sam was doing the same thing. So literally, this is a battle for money. And while there is some political component to it, people got to realize that like, if we don't have Bitcoin separated from crypto, we will get into a world of CBDCs and surveillance because they can co-opt Solana. They can co-opt Ethereum. Everything else is centralized. And if we really do want to have a, a, a sovereign form of money that we can use that's censorship free, 
you got to choose Bitcoin and you got to start learning more about Bitcoin and think a little longer term instead of like, how do I get the next 100% APY on my on my on my stable coins or like what's the next NFT thing that's mm-hmm. going to go up 10x? We will forever live in a Gordon Gecko greed is good world. Unfortunately, it seems like stories are coming up every day. So I got one last question before we let you go, Brandon. Thank you for uh, for your time and uh, your opinions today. Now, Genesis Global is halting withdrawals. The question is this. Do you feel like we've seen the majority of the cascading effect of this? Or do you feel like we're still at the tip of the iceberg and and the the you know the markets are still really going to tumble including bitcoin because you know the bitcoin is tied to crypto whether they like it or not so i do think like in the analogy i set up at the beginning that we're at like the end of 2018 and if you look at the chart market or the coin markets and the charts for 2019 i think that's where we're going in 2023 it's not going to be good it's going to be a long brutal painful capitulation and there's so many overvalued coins like look at go through coin geckos top 100 and just like try to rationalize the, the valuation of these coins for their market caps and just look at the chart at like let's say the feds didn't print 10 trillion dollars and reignite everything right look at the trend of where most altcoins were going they were going to zero but because 2020, uh, 2020, like the end of 2020 and, you know, beginning of 2021 bubble happened, like just click on, uh, click on like not even Solana because that was an ICO. Let's just let's just look at one of the um, pick Tron, one. for instance, like Tron uh, coin. I'm not trying to pick on any specific Cardano is another perfect one. Yeah, let's look, let's look at Tron here. Here we go. It hit a you zoom uh, out. Forget forget the ICO, but in its peak. Um, in 2021, it got up to what 16 cents, and now it's sitting at uh, almost no, no, five. Well, nine and a look, half billion dollars is what it was worth. Nine and a half billion market cap. But look at the price, say um, January 2020. What was the price of Tron in January 2020? Uh, that would have been about a penny and a half. You know, like point two billion. <laughs> yeah, so so a penny and a half for Tron is still overvalued in my opinion because we were we were kind of reconciling we were going through a two-year bear market where people were realizing that this stuff doesn't have a lot of value honestly it's like not really that valuable they're more like um if you want to be if you want to be uh generous you can say that if bitcoin's a commodity and so are some of these altcoins you could say that like bitcoin is gold and tron is like bronze or something like that like maybe because a lot of people use tron for stable coins overseas maybe it has some utility value like aluminum has massive utility value in the world and i'll tell this story and then we'll we'll, we can end it but like this is the framework of thinking that i like to have even if ethereum is successful because back in like i think it was the 1800s when they this first discovered like aluminum it was a lighter stronger metal metal than gold and it was like shinier so they found aluminum. People had this crazy FOMO bubble over aluminum and they started buying it up and it went up like in the value of aluminum went crazy. It, it got so bad. It got so bad, this bubble that um, Napoleon had a set of gold silverware and aluminum silverware. And when the, the esteemed guests would come over for dinner, they would be served on the aluminum 
silverware and then the, the the children would get the gold silverware to eat with <laughs> and people were just like buying steaks and aluminum mines and all this stuff <laughs> then what happened was the industrial <laughs> revolution they realized that like aluminum could be manufactured and mined and like you know purified and stuff at a much cheaper cost and there was tons of it they started being able to dig lower and they found more of it so the price of aluminum cratered against gold because eventually people got back into the same reality that like gold has certain properties as a commodity whatever a property a metal that you can't replicate with other things and even if the aluminum which ended up in the world in world war ii became the most used metal in world war ii like it was used for tanks and weapons and buildings and everything aluminum became extremely important as a useful thing it had utility value but that didn't mean that the price of aluminum skyrocketed. It was like the most used thing in terms of like a metal in history in, during World War II. But you don't invest in aluminum. So I like to think about Bitcoin as digital gold. And even if Ethereum gets to like the, the promises of all DeFi, you know, DeFi becomes the number one way to settle on the world and all the derivatives markets move from Wall Street and they go on and there's quadrillions of dollars of a volume happening on Ethereum DeFi, that doesn't mean that the ETH token is a better version of Bitcoin. That means it's digital aluminum. So mm. it can have it's massive use and still be like going down in price. And you can learn more about aluminum on Twitter at aluminum can, but you can learn more about Brad Mills at Brad Mills can on Twitter. How's that? Here's a, here's a can. There's a can right there. Hey, I, I want to actually say I got my, I got my bronze too. mug here. Oh, that's very nice. So how you know I remember when we were chatting about this when crypto was at its all time highs and everything like wasn't it like a hundred and thirty different projects were worth a billion dollars or more it was something Crazy. like that. I don't even remember how many now it's forty four of them are and I remember like I was gauging that pre you know in, in the other markets like all right is it coming back and look and see because because it got down to I think in the um, in the barest of the bears where there was only like maybe six that were a billion dollar company mm -hmm. in 2018 or something 19 well you think like who who propped those markets up who pumped those coins up that high it, it's it was it was trump it's trump everything was trump, trump. did it trump it did trump. it thanks trump god dang him trump, trump oh. just sent a missile into poland that was him as well he did everything <laughs> did trump do trump crashed ftx and crashed crypto trump, trump did ftx yeah, yep, well, he did of course he did. Of course he did. He's to blame for everything. You just, so you just, listen, you just got to think though that like the people that pumped all these coins to the billion market cap, they're losing all their money right now. Yeah, and they're going to make the decision very soon, if not now, to pull out and to pull their liquidity and stop pumping all their real money into all this fake money. Michael Saylor calls them air tokens. He's been doing that lately, and it's kind of a fun analogy because literally they're just built on air. And all these crypto traders and investors are off on the risk cliff. You know, it's not a risk curve. It's a risk cliff because you get off like Wiley Coyote. You're, you're running off off the risk cliff and you're sitting on air grabbing all these tokens and thinking they're investments. You look down and there's nothing there. And, you and just, somehow like, he never supply. dies. He plummets. He barely is wounded. And he comes back <laughs> and does it again and again and again. If just like Brad Mills doing it again on the Bad Crypto Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brad, uh, go ahead and, and pimp yourself for a moment and tell people what you're uh, what you're into, where they can find you, share websites, whatever. Honestly, you know, like I think the m number one thing for your listeners, I would really like if anybody 
got saved from Celsius or whatever from the last episode or, if, or, or whatever, like I would just really appreciate people take a serious look at <laughs> like learning more about Bitcoin. And the best resource for that is actually Preston Pish's podcast. Um, he runs a, a podcast. He runs the investor network. It's, it's, it started off as a macro podcast talking about the, the stock markets and value investing, things like that. And then he started getting into Bitcoin. He created the mayor multiple and he's been my favorite Bitcoin uh, commentator since. So don't, you know, don't follow me or pay attention to me. Just like start learning more about Bitcoin and follow Preston Pish's podcast, follow him on Twitter. And uh, that would, that would make me feel good. There it is right there. That's very humble of you, sir. The investors podcast.com for those of you watching. And uh, Travis, I think that uh, irony would dictate that we should commemorate this episode with an NFT, don't you? <laughs> hey, don't don't be a pitch. I'm tired of that. <laughs> so we'll we'll talk about that here. And uh, Brad, there there's the, the the dollar. What, what about that? it? No leader. Uh, that's my no, NFT. United nodes of Bitcoin. That's nice. That these are my nice. big. These are Bitcoin <laughs> NFTs. They're uh, they're physical right. pieces of art. They're not really that NFTs. Is I love that. Really cool. Bitcoin Thanks is again, man. physical art. We, we appreciate you, and um, I'm sure that we will have you back again. Thanks again, guys. Now, it's actually bad. Every time we talk to you, it's shitty news, so we don't ever want to talk to you again. <laughs> so, Trev, uh, you know, uh, you just reminded me that uh, Jimmy Song, who was a recent guest on the show, had a lot of negative things to say about NFTs. He went on an epic rant. Do you remember that? Yeah, it was a... It was a- it was a legendary rant, and it was funny because we we're like, "Yeah, we can debate him," and I debated him on some stuff, and then he just was just—he just steamrolled on it. He's like, "It's all bullshit! It's all bullshit! Everything's bullshit except Bitcoin. Bitcoin's not bullshit. Everything else is bullshit. And you're bullshit, Travis. And Joel, you're bullshit. Well, you're not as much as bullshit, but you're bullshit too." We're like, "Wow!" So Jim, I man. found it. It was actually, uh, it was right around the time we interviewed Brad this year. Okay, and the title nice. of the episode was NFTs are a scam. It was April 10th of 2022. So if you want to go back and uh, looks like we do have video of it as well. Oh, nice. Right. Okay. Wow, well, it's an hour. That could make a great little NFT as well of him ranting on NFTs. Oh, yeah. It was funny. He went to town. All like, right. Only Jimmy Saw can, can do. Jimmy Saw. Ran a train on a song. So, uh, you know, Brad has a lot to say. Hopefully you guys follow him on Twitter at Brad Mills can, by the way, um, this report, Elon is starting to release the uh, people who have been suspended. And it's, it's a variety. He's like looking at them and deciding case by case, but Jordan Peterson is back. Uh, the Babylon B is back. And um, although I'm not a fan of her, I don't think that she should be banned. Kathy Griffin is back and so and a you lot know of what's are- funny dude is, that is crazy but he's he's let go 99.6 percent of the workforce has what? left basically 50 of the top because you don't need that many employees he's got the best of the best i read this thread about how he's gone through and and and, and basically let people self-identify as who are the ones who kick ass and who are the ones who talk shit and who are the ones who don't do shit? And the ones that don't do shit and talk shit were the loudest. And then the ones that do shit, he saw that. He kept all of them. And so I think what we're going to see is 
those people are going to be all gone. Boom. Then he's going to start hiring good people. And because really, when you have really good productive people who know what the hell they're doing, these other people really slow them down. Right. And so let them be part of the hiring in of great people later on, because I don't think you don't need 8000 people to run Twitter. You need 8000 people if you're talking to every government and wheeling and dealing with every politician. But from what I've seen, I think Cat Turd even retweeted it. It said 99. No, it was a Tim Pool tweeted it. Said 99.6% of Twitter people are gone. He's down to the 50 very best employees, and now he's going to build up from there. Can you imagine if all of them were just so shitty? I, I haven't noticed any decline in Twitter yet. No, it's gotten, it, more, it's fact, gotten more funny actually. Yeah. So, um, and somebody said, bring back Alex Jones and, and Elon uh, responded, no, which look, I understand why, you know, he might not want to bring him back, but free speech is free speech. And if you don't let people come back, regardless of whether or not you like what they say, it's not really free speech. So, uh, but the he's whole still internet canceled Alex Jones. And what's interesting is I've, I paid attention to Alex Jones and uh, you know, Alex Jones has been wrong about a few things, but my God, how many things have the New York Times been wrong about? How many times has MSNBC been wrong about something? It's the very first time I've ever seen somebody be wrong about something and then sue them for a billion dollars. If every time MSNBC or Fox News or CNN or some of these guys were wrong about something or lying about something, they got sued for a billion dollars, like, and they got canceled. Like, the thing is, they go off on him about the thing that happened in Connecticut, right? And uh, the, the shooting. And because uh, he was, I remember what he basically said was, yeah, there's some, it's not exactly the story they're telling. It's not the correct one. I don't think he ever said people didn't die, but he, he said the FBI was going in with them. And, that, and that's and what he was he talking owned, about. Now he owes a trillion dollars or something ridiculous. It's, it's like, so crazy. Uh, wow. Whatever. It, these are crazy times we live in. Thank you for joining us and letting us be your Sherpas or at least being alongside you on this journey because that's what the show has always been from, from the very first episode. It's Travis and Joel's exciting crypto adventure. We're mm-hmm. still on this adventure five and a half years into it. Uh, we're, we are the spelunkers of what's a good S word for... I adventure. would say this is that you're the Sherpa. I'm the Derpa. <laughs> Telling you to catch the next episode, and of course, who's bad? The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoin's and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor. I'm a burp and derp.